You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. If you love chilling mysteries, unsolved cases, and a touch of mom-style humor, Moms and Mysteries is the podcast you've been searching for. Hey guys, I'm Mandy. And I'm Melissa. Join us every Tuesday for Moms and Mysteries, your gateway to gripping, well-researched true crime stories. Each week, we deep dive into a variety of mind-boggling cases as we shed light on everything from heists to whodunits. We're your go-to podcast for mysteries with a motherly touch. Subscribe now to Moms and Mysteries wherever you get your podcast. All right, folks, welcome to Greg Kelly tonight. I'm Carl Higby in for him. Breaking earlier, Ghislaine Maxwell was convicted of five of the six counts in sex trafficking for her trial. The jury deliberated for full five days before settling on the verdict. But, folks, I'd be willing to bet this is not the last we've heard of her or this case. Stay tuned for that. All right, extremism is the new it word, I guess, for the world of virtue signaling. Now, claims of right-wing extremism in the Republican Party, you know, everything is this and that, and extremists in the ranks, so on and so forth. All of this, all of a sudden, everything is somehow riddled with extremism in our military is just the, the next thing they're targeting here. It's really, really bad. The Pentagon published a 21-page set of rules aimed at, quote, stopping extremism in the ranks, listing out an array of now-banned activities, including most minor things like engage in electronic and cyber activities regarding extremist activities or groups that support extremist activities, including posting, liking, sharing, retweeting, or otherwise distributing content. Liking things on social media. You can't, you can't even like a social media post without concern that it could somehow cost you your security clearance or even your career. So instead of liking that funny meme making fun of Joe Biden, you have to worry about if that's considered an extremist post. But who decides what's extremist? This is my big problem here. If this past year has taught us anything, according to the mainstream media and the woke liberals, anything they don't agree with, our social overlords, is censored under the extremist umbrella. If it's harmful, dangerous, or gives you the sads, I mean, don't worry, though. The Pentagon says it has no way of looking at every social media account, but it wouldn't be far-fetched if they tried. There's no ability for the Department of Defense to monitor the personal social media content of every member of the armed forces. That would have to come to light through a various, various streams of reporting. It, it, it wouldn't be something that the command or the department's going to be actively fishing for. Right. Various streams of reporting. So on top of everything else, the Pentagon is begging soldiers to turn on one another instead of focusing on the important things, of course, like training to fight a war. You know, the, the, the military does that. You have to worry about not only what you like on social media, but also what your battle buddy might like, too. Oh, and, and God forbid someone who may disagree with you reports you as an extremist. I mean, this is like McCarthyism reversed. Unbelievable. That, folks, Let's get this out of the way. The job of the U.S. military is to kill bad guys and break things. That's it. Full stop. Our job is not to be the diplomatic person in the streets or handing out candy in Baghdad. I can say that unequivocally because I was there. I killed a lot of bad guys and I broke a lot of things. But under Obama, I was also forced to do nation building as well. You know what got more bad guys off the battlefield? 
not nation building. When you need to win a war, you need to unleash the savageness of the American soldier to inflict loss on the enemy, period. That's what war is. It's not great, it's bad, and it is hell. But that's what we got. And when they've had enough, then you can be diplomatic. And you know what? We have diplomats for that. That's how war works. But when, somewhere in between understanding the need to drop the atomic bomb and now, we've lost the edge that won us two world wars. The military is seemingly more interested in like, this blind social compliance with this softening agenda than they are killing any bad guys. Case in point, this administration was more committed to a political victory by pulling out of Afghanistan, leaving Americans behind in a war zone, letting it fall back into the hands of the Taliban that we fought to get it away from in the first place. Then they weren't at all interested in maintaining regional stability. That is the thought process of this administration, and they want people to go along with it. That's why they're purging the military of anyone, anyone who might show any opposition to action like this. Look, having served in the military, I can tell you unequivocally that our military is comprised of a very diverse, highly qualified, highly unified, unified force of good men and women who have a steadfast commitment to the Constitution. Sadly, though, you can't say the same thing about our top brass, and especially not our civilian leaders. Most of them are, are basically just politicians blowing whichever the wind takes them. If you're sitting there doubting me, take a look at this. Today, Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin III signed a memo directing commanding officers and supervisors at all levels to select a date within the next 60 days to conduct a one-day stand-down to discuss extremism in the ranks with their personnel. Stop training for war, folks. We need to look at your Twitter feed. Part of the definition of extremism to them is the fact opposition to political leaders. Really? Hmm, if there was only something that would allow political dissent. Oh, there is, it's called the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging from the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. When you enter the military, you take an oath. I, Carl Higby, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution, against, uh, Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, and that I will obey the orders of the President of the United States and the orders of the officers appointed over me according to the regulations of the Uniform Code of Military Justice, so help me God. Did you notice that the Constitution comes first? It comes before the chain of command because it's a higher power. Because even in the military, you do have a First Amendment right, so long as you're not disobeying a lawful order. That oath also means that you cannot be ordered to, to not have a dissenting view of political beliefs while on active duty. Trust me, folks, I literally wrote a book on this after I beat the US military on this topic. That's my book, you should read it. Begs the question, what are they so worried about? Now, keep in mind, this memo was issued immediately after Biden took office. A, a bunch of red flags went up for me. This, this was a loyalty test. This, this whole Lloyd Austin memo combined with all the other stuff they're doing right now, this is a loyalty test. It, it's a memo authorized the review of service members' social media, public posts, private posts, any comments made in the locker room, anything was to be reported or vetted. Now, this had nothing to do with the concern of actual extremism. It certainly didn't have anything to do with force readiness. It had everything to do with a loyalty test to an administration that was not widely supported among the ranks of the last election. They disguised it as extremism, but even General Milley did a garbage job at selling this. Watch. I want to understand white rage, and I'm white, and I want to understand it.
give me a break. This was their basis. Over the next few months, the military discharged or disciplined, I don't know, maybe like 100 service members for extremism, for supporting groups like the Proud Boys and other suspected race-related organization going towards Millie's bizarre desire to understand white rage. By the way, maybe this guy should be less focused on catering to the woke masses and virtue signaling with Elmo. I mean, here, focus more on our military that maybe, just maybe, the Afghanistan withdrawal wouldn't have been so absolutely bad. Think about that. You know how many of these troops were disciplined because they supported Black Lives Matter or Antifa? None. Zero. Big fat donut. Even though there were and still are a number of active military members who support those groups very publicly on social media. They, they did this while these groups were burning down cities. I'm not saying military members did, but military members supported these groups while they burnt down cities. This is undoubtedly targeting conservatives, without a doubt. Everybody knows that. If you need further proof, liberals on the left have been calling GOP extremists for years. This is just their chance to start weeding us out of the military. These political extremists are in charge of the Republican Party. The Republican Party is now, in fact, a right-wing extremist party dominated by the Koch brothers' ideology. I think there's just been a general and growing contempt for democratic norms within the Republican Party and a growing receptivity to extremism, to conspiracy theories, uh, to uh, racism, nativism, xenophobia. Folks, there is no real threat of extremism in our ranks. Sure, there might be a few, out look, I'm not denying, there might be a few bad apples, a few outliers in there that I think everyone can agree should be addressed, but this is a sham. There is, however, a massive amount of folks that are loyal to the Constitution first, and that is what worries this administration. They know Trump had a strong approval with the military, the actual sled dogs, the fighting force of the military, and least among the fighting ranks for, for there was no support for Biden in, in any wall, broad spectrum, okay? They are worried the military will support the Constitution, but they want the military to blindly support this radical agenda. This is a loyalty test. We are seeing it go one step further now with the vaccine mandates. This is yet another attempt to weed us out. In this case, those with strong beliefs in personal freedoms and religious convictions don't believe me. Folks, they have denied almost every single religious exemption. I'm not trying to scare anyone out there. I don't think the Biden administration is planning to take any military action that would require mil military members to break any oath to the Constitution. I'm not, don't, don't worry about that. I'm not saying that. But I think this administration is attempting to get rid of or make examples of anyone who would choose the Constitution over in order to subvert it. So joining us now is a former U.S. Air Force officer, member of the House Armed Services Committee, Congressman of Texas, Pat Fallon. Congressman, welcome to the show. Carl Hibby, you are a great American, and I love the monologue. Oh, man, thank you very much. It means a lot coming from you. So, look, I am i don't think the military is getting poised or they're preparing to do anything with the military, but I do have my, my issues. It's like, they're, like me, politically, like, I, I would be out of the military tomorrow right now if, if, if I had my political con convictions that I have now while serving an active duty. Still my right. Granted, you have to obey the orders of those over you. So... Do you think they're actively trying to just purge as many further right conservatives as they can? Well, that's Carl, that's my concern. And that's what I've seen. The, the military is supposed to be apolitical. And clearly, uh, Milley is not right. the American general. He's a Democratic general. And that's what we never wanted. We don't want that labeling. 
And I love the fact that you're talking about this sham extremism because you and I were in the military and you want to change a culture. You want to improve it. The military has always been in the forefront and in the spear the spearhead of it being a meritocracy. Mm -hmm. And you changed culture over decades, and the military started it in the 1940s. So by the time you and I served, we saw a true colorblind service, and that was a great thing, e pluribus unum. And when we asked them about the extremism element, how many people were actually kicked out, the Air Force said they don't track it, and the Marines said only four in a given year, and the Army was nine. So it's a tiny, tiny, infinitesimal number. Yeah, no, it's 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 actually ironically about the same number as transgender people in the military, um, but and you know, obviously we had to change all the policy for that. So my issue here, though, is somewhere along the line, and I, I've talked to a number of of military leaders about this, and the, you know, active and former, that have said, "Hey, look, guys, you know, like when we came out of Vietnam, we had an entire echelon of leadership that experienced slinging lead, which is a very valuable aspect to leadership. But somewhere in between then and now, we started losing that, and a lot of officers didn't experience combat." And they started basically being more concerned about putting bullets in an eval than bullets in a bad guy. Yeah, no, listen, military action is diplomacy by another means. And what we want our military to be is incredibly lethal and destructive when it needs to be, because Mm -hmm. that's what we call deterrence. Uh, Saddam Hussein didn't get that memo, and he learned his lesson. We smashed five days. Yes. I mean, (laughs) that's we want other bad guys, because if it wasn't for the United States in our presence, You would see China running all over the place and a lot of other tin pot dictators invading countries and stealing resources. Yep. No, 100%. Now, the vaccine mandates, they've they've made their way down through the military members. And, you know, the Marine Corps had until November 28th to get uh, at least one COVID-19 vaccine dose or they, you know, or they had to file an exemption. Now, at the end of November, the Marine Corps reported that about 9,000 of their active duty members were not vaccinated at this point. And as of the deadline, they have, uh, you know, last week, I think 190 Marines or something like that, 160 Marines had been discharged from the service for refusing it. But like I said, they have like 9,000 people that are refusing this. They haven't approved any, to my knowledge, religious exemptions, which isn't that a violation of the, the here, here's the stats right here, 3,100 requests and processed and denied almost all but 22 of them. Yeah, that, that's frightening. And listen, we the, the Marines only have an active force, and I think an active and reserve force of under a quarter of a million. Mm-hmm. And you can't lose 9,000 Marines. That's going to affect our combat mm-hmm. projection. That is incredibly dangerous. And this is, again, when you mix politics with medicine, you're going to get bad politics, you're going to get bad medicine. And we're going to diminish our combat power because Joe Biden and his administration want to force tyranny mm-hmm. down the throats of our service members. It's yeah. beyond the pale. Well, that, that's the other thing, too, is there's a bunch of SEALs, and thank God they're doing this. They're suing over this vaccine stuff. And like, there's like, I don't know, like 30 to 40, I don't care what the stats say officially by the DOD. I know it's like 30 to 40% of SEALs have not been vaccinated, and they're not going to get vaccinated. And they're saying, kick us out. Do whatever you want. Some guys have, you know, dare I say, fake cards or some stuff like that. I don't want to get any of them in trouble, but, you know, good for them for standing up. But at the end of the day, like there's only like 1,600 active SEALs, maybe a little bit more now. But you can't afford to lose 30 percent of that force. Who's going to go get the next bin Laden? Now, think about the cost, too. I mean, first of all, if you kick one person out of the service. Ten million bucks. Gone. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's one too many. Yeah. You lose 400 SEALs. I mean, that, that's devastating to yeah. our combat projection. 
Yeah, it, I mean, it, it's shocking to me that there that this woke agenda has just run roughshod over anything. And it's like, you know, when Trump was in, he saw this, and a lot of military got very nervous about it. But I've said this before. It's like, there was a great piece, Congressman, in The Atlantic in 2011 said, why our best officers are leaving. And it talks about this stuff in 2011. That's 10 years ago. And I would ask you, sir, in your experience from a congressional level, how many of the best officers you've seen serve have just turned around and left because they're like, I'm done with this bureaucracy. I'm going to the private sector to make my money there because I like it. Yeah, no, and that's a, that, that's the frightening thing. I mean, government uh, bureaucracies are notoriously inefficient and inept. Mm-hmm. And we, the private sector, to, in order to survive, you have to be you know, as sharp as a blade. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about also wasting money. And, and to give you an example, to, to your extremist point, standing down the entire military and staggering it costs. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere, I mean, Carl, that's like a half a billion dollars gone in uh, To in check my production. Twitter feed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just nuts. A quarter, I mean, a half a billion dollars to stand out for that one day if you consider the payroll of the entire service. Yeah, so they can monitor social media and make sure nothing's extremist. I tell you what, how about we let soldiers kill bad guys and then we can let the politicians like you clean up the rest of it. Republican Congressman Pat Fallon from Texas, appreciate you joining, sir. Always a pleasure. Carl, have a great new year. Oh, you too. All right, folks, we're almost, almost, almost out of 2021, but that does mean we're almost out of the woods with COVID? I don't think so. We're going to be speaking with Dr. Martin Koldorf about the latest CDC guideline updates and what it means to you. All that after the break. There's a dangerous movement taking place in America, dismantling democracy, destroying our economy, stripping our freedom. Sean Spicer brings you an all-new book revealing Biden's dangerous plans for America. Radical Nation exposes the plan to turn America into a socialist nation and what you can do to stop them. President Trump says, if you want to save America, you must read this book. Get your free copy with this special offer. Go online or call the number on your screen. Well, today marks day, I don't know, like 500 and something of 14 days to flatten the curve. And it's just another day in the new world of the Omicron variant remaining active as throughout all the U.S. as we've seen it, despite all the travel bans that Joe Biden said was going to be racist. We've seen a few cases of increases since then, if you can say that. Testing lines wrapped around the streets in New York City. And in the meantime, the fear-mongering media is going absolutely bananas over this. The CDC, though, released a few updates to their guidelines this week, even in light of this massive spread. Let's get a checkup on this from our next guest professor at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Moulton Koldorf. Doctor, appreciate you joining the show again. You are the perfect guy I want to ask for this. So the CDC shortens their recommendation of quarantine time from 10 down to five days. What do you make of this? Well, if somebody's asymptomatic, I think that's okay. But if people are still symptomatic, then no, people should stay home. Mm. I mean, it, it almost like you're a doctor and you're, you, this is sound medical advice that we've uh, adhered to for, I don't know, 50 to 100 years. This is this is actually funny. If you read the symptoms of um, uh, of the the Omicron variant, it is strikingly similar to what you see on the side of a NyQuil bottle. So is this Omicron variant actually a gift in the sense that we're going to reach herd immunity very quickly from it? Well, it's more contagious. So yes, we will therefore reach, uh, reach herd immunity uh, uh, more quickly. So, and we will reach herd immunity. So, so this pandemic will end when uh, sufficient number of people have had 
uh, have natural immunity from having recovered from COVID. Mm-hmm. And we know, unfortunately, the vaccine doesn't help very much in in that because the immunity against uh, disease uh, wanes pretty quickly. So uh, yes, we will uh, we will because of this more continue. We will reach uh, the end of the pandemic sooner. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to like stoke any kind of conspiracy theories here, but like I'm I'm not vaccinated. I'm pretty open about it. I had COVID in January. I've been around hundreds of people in the last year. I've taken zero precautions uh, and you know been exposed to COVID a ton of times. I haven't gotten it again. And yet they're sell- telling people to still be afraid of this thing, even if you've had it. And, you know, I've been told by the president of the United States that it's the you know, the fear of the unvaccinated, the, co- the pandemic of the unvaccinated. What do you you know, if you're sitting next to the president advising him like on a policy, level. You're saying, hey, look, here's my recommendation on how to deal with Omicron. What do you say to him? Well, I think it should be the same that we have should have uh, uh, dealt with this pandemic from the beginning. Uh, we should not close schools. We should live normal lives. Uh, if you're an older person, you have to be vaccinated if you haven't had COVID. Uh, that's very important. So the CDC should uh, focus their efforts on vaccinating people, older people who haven't yet had COVID or haven't had uh, the vaccine. Mm-hmm. But other than that, if people are sick, they should stay home and uh, then live very normal lives. Yeah. Well, what do you make of the fact that the CDC also is flipping around on the effectiveness of COVID tests? Now, they've recently said, like, everybody's got to get a COVID test and all this. But on December 31st, the CDC is saying that, like, hey, we're no longer that faithful. uh, We don't have that much faith in the COVID test because we think they also pick up is uh, the basic flu. They pick up different variants. I mean, here it is right here. This is from the CDC. As of December 31st, 2021, CDC will withdraw the request to the FDA uh, for emergency use authorization of the CDC 2019 novel coronavirus, you know, obviously the COVID virus, in real-time PCR diagnostic panel, which basically says we don't have faith in the PCR test anymore. What do you make of that? Uh, well, there are problems with that test, uh, uh, but uh, it depends on in what setting you use it. If you do it in a clinical setting, so if somebody comes in with uh, a COVID-like symptoms to the hospital, then it makes sense to do a test because we want to know that that will give information if it's likely to be COVID or something else. Uh, at the same time, if you want to test, for example, the staff at nursing homes, it's also important to do frequently because even if there are some false positives, uh, it's worse that then the staff should stay home and away from the, the work as long as they are, are, are positive. And even if there are some false positives, that's sort of okay. Mm-hmm. But to mass test students or children in schools or at workplaces, Low risk that is people. not a good idea because you have some false positives that the case with all tests. So if you test a thousand asymptomatic people, you're going to have some that are false positives yeah. and you're sort of uh, keeping them away from school for no good reason. Yeah. Well, I want to take a look at Fauci. OK, so I don't have a whole lot of faith in this guy. I think he personally, I think he's a complete fraud. But back in March of 2020, when the pandemic was first starting off, this is when Nancy Pelosi was out in the fish market in Chinatown saying, hey, come on down. There's nothing to be afraid of here. This is what he had to say about vaccines. If you vaccinate someone and they make an antibody response, and then they get exposed and infected, does the response that you induce actually enhance the infection and make it worse? The only way you'll know that is if you do an extended study, not in a normal volunteer who has no risk of infection, but in people who are out there in a risk situation. 
This would not be the first time, if it happened, that a vaccine that looked good in initial safety actually made people worse. We had to get that up there before it got taken down off social media because he's literally saying, like, is this vaccine going to make it worse? What do you think? I got about 10 seconds left. So that's happened for some vaccines, like the dengue vaccine uh, that is no longer used. But we don't know if that's true for the COVID vaccine or not. Yeah. Because I see no indication that it's true for the COVID vaccine. Well, I hope you're right, sir, because that was uh, that's a very powerful soundbite from a year and a half ago. Professor at Harvard Medical School, Dr. Moulton Koldorf, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Coming up, as we draw 2021 to a close this week, we mark nearly a year into Biden's presidency. This means another crisis is on America's hands. 2021 crime rates are high, breaking record highs, actually. What does this mean for the safety and our future? We're going to talk about that after the break. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. Crime, chaos, it's all that remains in Biden's America, basically, from homicides to smash and grabs. Most states are experiencing the spike from basically coast to coast at this point. What does this mean for the future of policing, the security of business, and the safety for all Americans? Let's bring in our next guest, president of the Red Renaissance Pack, Kim Claysick herself. Kim, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing good, Carl. How are you? Well, I would be better, except that we are basically in one of the largest crime waves I've seen. It's basically Gotham City here in Manhattan. And, you know, since 2021, the homicide rate is spiking records, specifically in blue states. Look at this right here. I mean, look at these numbers, Kim. It is unbelievable. You got I mean, you're from the Baltimore area. You know how bad it's been. But especially Chicago, it's deadlier than Iraq and Afghanistan combined at the height of the war. What do you make of it? Yeah. So, you know, we see a lot going on since COVID. I know there are a lot of people on the left that blame COVID for the spike in violence, and they're not completely wrong. Um, you know, what's interesting is elections do have consequences. And back in 2018, while the media was so focused on President Trump and his mean tweets, we got a lot of progressives in office. Mm -hmm. In Baltimore City, we got a progressive mayor, a progressive state's attorney. If you look at the numbers in Philadelphia, the DA was elected in 2018. He is to a progressive. Right. And so when you look at what happened on the local level, yes, spiking in crime does have to relate to COVID as well, because those progressive DAs and state's attorneys, they decided that they were going to prosecute low-level crimes during the pandemic. What they did is then continue that policy all the way through now to 2021, and we see what happened, including defunding the police. Well, that's actually, I'm glad you brought that point up because there was an article out that did talk about how crime is actually down over the last year, which is not true at all. There might be less convictions because of like what you said, because they literally do not prosecute it. But one of the big things, Kim, I want to talk about is the liberal media and the liberal prosecutors and all this stuff, they all go bananas over gun crimes. We got to ban guns. We got to do this. But then you look to your point to actual prosecutions of gun crimes. If you rob a bank, okay, they might prosecute you for larceny, but they don't prosecute you for the gun crimes. You're back on the street sometimes with no bail the next day. Yeah, absolutely. And we see that a lot where you are in New York City because of bail reform. Mm -hmm. You know, here in Baltimore City, there are a lot of uh, shootings 
that basically go unprosecuted because, number one, the biggest impediment is we have witnesses and people that don't come forward. Uh, so we don't have a good rate as far as closing these cases. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, the prosecutors are very soft on criminals. And if you are a juvenile, you basically get away scot-free nowadays. Yeah. And I have to tell you, Carl, a lot of these inner city gangs are recruiting juveniles because they know that is the case. So what we can do is obviously elect real leaders, those that are not progressives, right. those that are not soft on crime. And we have to demand more, right? When we think about uh, the rate that they're giving us, say their homicide rate or their case closure rate, we should ask questions. We should say, look, are you knocking cases off the docket and not counting that towards your rate? Or is this all the cases that you have to, to try in front of a judge? Right. Sometimes they're fudging the numbers and doing their own funny math. And that's what they're presenting to the public. Yeah, and then the same the same thing goes with uh, these smash and grabs. I mean, it's become like a, a trend. It's a thing now. It's like a TikTok or whatever the kids do these days. And it's dangerous for business. I mean, businesses are shutting down. Businesses are leaving. We saw some places in California that shut down Targets and Walmarts and CVSs because they're like, it's just not worth it for us anymore. How do we tell businesses like, okay, guys, it's okay to come back out of the shadows and, and repopulate this area that we used to have as a city? Yeah, I mean, businesses do have to obviously protect themselves. I know I see a lot of businesses that are getting their own private security detail. Um, but at the same time, think about it. If those businesses were not open, say if any Walmart, Target, in any area, whether it was a rural area or inner city, if they had to close, there would be a lot of people not able to get their basic needs, prescriptions, all kinds of things. And so I think maybe just making sure that some of these progressive mayors and other elected officials feel the heat Perhaps some of these stores should close early. Yep. We know in Baltimore we have restaurants that are not open uh, to their full capacity, and they're shutting early uh, so yep. that they can avoid some of the burglaries and things that happen at night. Um, so I think now people are starting to see what's going on, and I'm hoping, Carl, in 2022, people wake up and they elect people that are really against crime and for we the people. Yeah, well, you know what's funny is Kamala Harris, we know that she was basically locking people off left and right, especially uh, uh, black people when she was the uh, DA in, in San Francisco and when she was in California and all this stuff, even though she openly admitted that, you know, she, she had locked up tons of people for minor weed uh convictions, but yet she went on a podcast and said, oh yeah, I, I did inhale, I smoked weed, like it was some cool thing. But she's leading above Biden in approval ratings in the in the sl very slight amount, but look, take a look at this. All right, Harris 44, uh, Biden 43. Now, is that just because they haven't seen her out front because she basically hides from the camera unless she's cackling somewhere? Well, it's interesting because I saw a note just a couple of days ago saying that she believes she's receiving unfair treatment by the press uh, because she is not a white male. And I thought about that. I was like, well, remember that hashtag win with black women? Kamala Harris yeah. wouldn't be the vice president today if she wasn't a female of color. That is why she was picked as the VP. Joe Biden said so it. I, yeah, so if I was her, I would just be quiet on that one. Uh, but at the same time, Kamala Harris, we know that she was tasked with doing something about the southern border. And there are a lot of people watching what's going on down there. We're seeing record number and amounts of fentanyl being pushed across that southern border. Yeah. And Carl, here in Baltimore City and many inner cities across the country, we're feeling that the most. Right. And so we're now dealing with overdose deaths at record numbers, along with the homicide rates. And yes, Kamala Harris has nowhere to be seen. I hope she comes out and starts doing her job because at right. the end of the day, I want her to win. 
because I live here in this country and I want to live safely. Of course. I mean, but here's the thing. It's like, you're absolutely right to that. Like when you're vice president, your job, you have basically two jobs. You sit where you're told and don't die. And the third, she wanted more responsibility. So they said, okay, cool. Go take care of the border. She couldn't do that. So I don't know what the, what to make of that. Kim Klasick, we appreciate you joining us. Thank you. All right. Coming up, folks. We're going to expose the media as they fueled a panic over the Omicron variant. And what are these so-called Fauci groupies? This is a weird one. I'll explain all this next. Don't worry. A liberty-loving American takes on Washington, Hollywood, and the whole media establishment. He's Chris Salcedo. Join his fight. Tune in to The Chris Salcedo Show every weekday afternoon on Newsmax. All right, folks, earlier this evening, Ghislaine Maxwell was found guilty of five of the six charges. Here to join us on this is Newsmax correspondent Sarah Williamson. Sarah, what's the latest on this? Well, Carl, as you just mentioned, Ghislaine Maxwell, the, uh, the accomplice of disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein, has been found guilty of five of those six charges, including sex trafficking of a minor. Now, she is yet to be sentenced, and we don't know when that is going to be happening, but th this has been a long time coming. The jury did start deliberating back on December 20th, and it has now been five full days of actual deliberations. And it has really been testing not only the public, not only the media, but the presiding judge, Judge Nathan, as well. The jury have been coming back and forth to the judge with some asking for multiple requests for testimony from the five, uh, the five victims and the five people who have given testimony here in the courtroom here in Manhattan at the federal court down in lower Manhattan in the past three weeks as as the trial was going on, and also requests for in the, in the coming days, in the past few days, for things like a whiteboard, for things like uh, post-it notes, which just gave people the thought, gave people an idea that maybe they weren't getting that all that close to reaching a verdict, but. Judge Nathan had bigger concerns, and that was this huge outbreak that we've had here in New York of the Omicron COVID-19 variant. She raised this with the jury and did tell them that if they did not come to a verdict soon, that they would have to be staying until 6pm every single day until they reached one, and, and did threaten that they would have to be staying over the New York break until a verdict was reached, and lo and behold, we have reached one now. So after five days of deliberations. They have found her guilty of five out of six counts, and we are now waiting to find out what Ghislaine Maxwell's sentence will be, Carl. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate it. We're going to continue to follow this, and we'll keep you posted. All right, folks, I'd be willing to bet, though, like I said earlier, this is not over yet. This is not... Like, Ghislaine Maxwell probably has something up her sleeve, some sort of insurance policy, so do not count her down yet. I'm interested to see where this goes. All right, the media, again, in complete panic as the Omicron variant started to spread throughout the entire country. Michigan has seen more patients hospitalized for COVID this week than at any other time during the pandemic. In New York City... The positivity rate has doubled in just four days. A city health advisor tweeted, we've never seen this before in NYC. Hospitals are on their knees right now in Indiana, grappling with a flood of mostly unvaccinated COVID-19 patients. You know, it's going to be a surge like we haven't seen before, numbers that are completely out of control. I really worry about a um, instability in our health system and a lot of people um, uh, unable to take care of patients in the hospital. That's the weak link right now. 
So if masks and vaccines work, well, why don't they work? I mean, is this over the top alarmism though? And we're seeing, we're seeing this over and over again and now only realizing that it's not nearly as dangerous as previous variants. Folks, we had a doctor on earlier who said this might be a good thing for her immunity. Even the CDC has shortened the quarantine time for the asymptomatic. Well, joining me now to discuss is the vice president of Media Research Center and editor of Research Center Tech Watch, Dan Gaynor. Dan, welcome back to the program. Thank you very much. All right. So once again, my man over here, he puts the jacket on with the shoulder surgery. We appreciate the <laughs> we appreciate it. All right. So look, the media We're diehards at the MRC, man. It's, it's the way we are. Exactly. So the um, and that's why I have your not a liberal bumper sticker on the back of my truck. Um, so look, the media hasn't learned from their previous panics over this. It's like there's the constant fear monger. It's like you're going to die. You're going to be this and you're going to be that. Like, folks, everybody take a rap. Why are they so panicking over this? Well, I mean, I think it's a couple of reasons. One, we've gotten so obsessed. We, the media, have gotten so obsessed with the first number. It's the, you know, the how many people get it. How many people get it doesn't matter. It's how severe it is that they get. I mean, if you're getting, or in an ordinary year, we wouldn't track how many people are getting the flu. We track how many people were seriously harmed by the flu, or maybe how many people died from the flu. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you incorporate the various variants, that's that's the problem. You know, if you want to worry about Delta variant, Delta variant has been very deadly and mm -hmm. genuinely a problem. It's still a prominent problem in this country. But the the you know, the Omicron variant seems, at least earlier reports, not as dangerous. Right. And so when you when you focus on the first number, that's the dumb number. Even some of the media are finally admitting that that's the wrong number to focus on. Yeah. You'd be focusing on hospitalizations and deaths. But the press has a second motive, and it's not an unsubtle one. If they can create enough political panic, then they want to get to the place they got to in 2020, which is they're going to use this as a way of manipulating the election. And that means go back to the same rules that several states already overturned, uh, you know, the mail-in balloting that the, the Democrats were able to manipulate so well. Well, we saw that in Pennsylvania when they just they literally changed their constitution based on a 51% majority vote, not a respite, not a, you know, a two-thirds majority. They did that in Pennsylvania. Okay, forget the other cattywampus afoot. They, they, they broke their own laws over there, and you're absolutely right over that. So, but if you aren't familiar with the Fauci groupies, okay, and there's a ton of them out there, take a listen to this. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Fauci groupie. I'm a thrice-vaccinated mask adherent. I buy KN95 masks, buy the, you know, caseload. They're in every pocket. I wear them everywhere except when I sit down. And I am certain that this is not a variant I can outrun. Just <laughs> why anybody would admit that they're a Fauci groupie on TV, Dan? Yeah, I, th I think that's something. I mean, I, you know, if you when you go in the Washington area, there's all these people who got funny signs, but they really believe them about St. Fauci in their yard yeah. and stuff. So so I'm not surprised by it. But, you know, yes. Should you be careful? Look, you should be careful about not getting the flu in flu season. So sure. I understand. OK, being careful. But there's a point beyond which where it becomes a mania. Yeah. And that's what she's describing. Exactly. But they, you know, and that's just that's just that's not responsible news media. It's not. OK. Yes, it's a it's an issue. Be careful. Certainly don't try to get it. 
And then let's look at the, you know, what happened afterwards. That's not a message the media are capable of giving us. 100%. It's almost like we shouldn't listen to the mainstream media. Dan Gaynor, MRC, we appreciate you joining us. (laughs) (laughs) That's a a lesson for 2022, right? Weird, I know. All right, folks, coming up, crimes exploding across the nation. How left-wing judges are actually releasing suspects on bond and have reportedly killed more than 150 people in just one county alone. Next. So as crime surges nationwide, of course, we see the rampant smash and grabs, and there's something else that's going on. This catch-and-release philosophy perpetuated by these left-wing appointed judges is insane. And it's sadly, every day, Americans like us, we're paying the deadly price for this. Here in Harris County, no fewer than 113 defendants charged with capital murder have been inexplicably granted bond and released back onto our streets pending trial. Let me repeat, we are talking capital murder, the most egregious offense in the criminal code. Yeah, you heard that right. Just in Harris County, Texas, according to Crime Stoppers, 150 people have lost their lives at the hands of thugs being released. And sadly, killing while on bond. They're out on bail. I mean, clearly we're living this upside-down world where you'll be thrown off a plane for not wearing a mask or refuse service and thrown out of town and even arrested if you don't comply with COVID vaccine protocols. But these thugs, you want to you be out on bail because of some capital criminal offense? Nope, you can go right on ahead and commit murder while you're out on a zero bond. Unbelievable. Joining me now to break this down, the common sense cowboy, Patrick Dorrenson. Sir, what do you make of this? Well, Carl, I would like to say that this is all part of the whole defund the police movement, but in Harris County, Texas, it's not. This all began in 2018 when they elected, because they elect judges in their criminal justice system, Mm -hmm. 59 judges were elected. Now, folks, remember, if you go back, that's when old Beto O'Rourke was was running against Ted Cruz. Now, he didn't do too well, but he did bring in a lot of Democrats, and they took complete control of the criminal justice system in Harris County. And they're letting people out, you know, like, like they just got a parking ticket or something, and they're going out and killing more people. And what's happening also is who are they killing? They're going back into the same neighborhoods they came from. They're probably killing innocent people, and maybe they're killing fellow gangbangers or or what, what have you. But the whole thing is the criminal justice system in this country is upside down, and the defund police movement just wrecked it even worse last summer. How about them apples? Well, here's another story. Another man suspected of shoplifting at a store where he worked in Pittsburgh. Well, I mean, it's it, as it comes out, he's also wanted for homicide in Texas, according to police. Look at this. I mean, you, you can't make this up. Check this one out. Another one. Incoming city comptroller Brad Lander is taking an NYPD security detail, even though he wants to slash funding for the department. I mean, do as I say, not as I do. I mean, how blatantly idiotic are these policies, Patrick? Well, first of all, you know, everybody says it's hypocritical. Yeah, it's hypocritical. But the worst part is the arrogance of these people to think that they can say defund the police with a wave of their hand and all of a sudden this is going to happen and then they get to have the protection Mm -hmm. of a whole police squad all around them. Look, the left thought defund the police was a heck of a slogan to win election and turn out voters. That's all they thought it was. They didn't think anybody was actually stupid enough 
to actually pass it like they did in Minneapolis or mm -hmm. Los Angeles. And look what's happening now. They're reaping the rewards of their stupidity. And as Groucho yeah. Marx once said, these people may look like idiots, they may act like idiots, but don't let that fool you. They really are idiots. Yeah. Well, you know, Democratic lawmakers, uh, Tara Simmons and David Hacking, they're pushing this radical agenda. I mean, it, it, is, it is shocking. This legislation removes drive-by shootings from a list of crimes that are elevated to first-degree murder to a higher degree of murder carrying a mandatory life sentence. It claims, oh, this, you know, drive-by shooting, prosecuting drive-by shootings targets people of color, and, and we should therefore not charge. I see, kid, I got about 30 seconds left. Can you break this down for me? Yeah, again, we have people that don't know what the hell they're talking about. And second of all, gangs are running these cities. Yeah. We need somebody to go into these cities at the federal level, like Elliot Ness and the Untouchables, and start taking care of these hoodlums and taking apart these gangs piece by piece. Yeah. And unless we're willing to do that, we're going to have these same problems. And I don't care what these two knuckleheads say. Yeah. Well, Patrick Dornson, couldn't have said it better myself. Appreciate you joining us, sir. See you later. All right. Folks, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. Well, good news, folks. Dr. Fauci has said that he's not going to retire until the end of the pandemic, which by his watch will be absolutely never. The bad news for us taxpaying people is that the federal f retirement package that he's going to receive is probably going to be over $350,000 a year. You're welcome, America. That's what your tax dollars go to. All right, folks, thanks for watching tonight. I'm Carl Higby. You can catch my show, Saturday Report, right here on Newsmax, 9 to 11 a.m. on Saturday mornings. Stand by for Stinchfield.